Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Empire State Conservatives Podcast. I'm your host, Gabriel Montalvo, filling in for, I guess I could call him the infamous Evan. Before we begin, I'd like to say a huge uh, thank you for Gavin Wexler coming on the show. And uh, make sure you come to our store to buy our snowflake melting merch, as Evan would say. As you can say uh, right up here on the screen, make America armed again. That's one of my favorites. Also, guns and freedom. All of that can be found at Empire State Network. EmpireStateConservativesNetwork.com. Uh, Gavin is the president of the New York Republicans Club. He is a contributor for uh, Town Hall uh, and does a whole bunch of other great things. And you all love him because he's so very smart. So, Gavin, welcome to the show again. How are you? I'm great, Gabe. Great to see you, uh, not in person, but virtually. And I appreciate the uh, nice introduction. You're far too kind. And uh, let's talk some politics. Yeah, definitely. So in light of January 6th, we've seen a lot of people uh, not only get censored uh, from big tech, as we've been saying, but now people are making allegations uh, that it was an insurrection. I'd like to start off by getting your ideas on that. Would you call the president's uh, call for peace uh, and uh, to walk away from the situation insurrection? Absolutely not. This is a complete joke. There was nothing of the sort. As you mentioned, he was calling for peace. He wanted a peaceful march like many other marches. This was not his first rally. It wasn't even his first rally in D.C. It wasn't even his first rally in D.C. post-election. Um, all he had asked for was a peaceful march towards the Capitol. He never said to attack police officers. He never said to storm the Capitol. He never said to start a revolution. This is all nonsense. If anything, it's a self-projection of the Democrats who were really leading an insurrection through the summer of last year when multiple cities were burned and, and basically civil society uh, grinded to a halt because they were uh, basically leading what it was an armed revolution. I mean, police stations were burned, officers were killed, many people were, were killed. Um, and it went on for months unabated and, and completely, uh, completely sponsored and supported by the Democrat Party machine. They were bailing out rioters and looters and insurrectionists. Mm -hmm. Um, I was critical of the president at the time. I said he should have invoked the Insurrection Act. He should have came down harder on them to send a message. Uh, he didn't do that. It eventually subsided. But now we're seeing them try to reshape the narrative and somehow claim the mantle of law and order and supportive of law enforcement and now being anti-rioting and anti-looting, which is preposterous because all we heard over the last several months were the virtues of civil disobedience and and the and the and uh, all the social good that comes from looting and rioting. Uh, they've clearly changed their tune very quickly when it's politi politically expedient for them. Um, but what we saw was not an insurrection. What we saw um, was what is to be expected when, you know, many people have serious, legitimate doubts about the validity of our election, when many people have been driven to destitution by a government that's sent them into lockdowns, that's uh, shut down their businesses, that's made them unemployed, um, and that has refused to support them, uh, and has chosen to send more of their taxpayer money overseas and to support uh, you know, American citizens who, through no fault of their own, are now struggling to make their rent, struggling to pay their mortgage, struggling to support their families. So, of course, hundreds of thousands of people are going to be so incensed and angry to storm the Capitol. Um, and let's be honest, the Capitol, what does it represent right now? It represents an institution that is decadent, that is corrupt, that has betrayed its values, betrayed the Constitution, betrayed the people. It's full of uh, graft, it's full of kickbacks, and it's full of contempt for the average American. Now, what they did in storming it, the violence, the destruction, is completely unacceptable. And they, I've called 
uh, for them to be prosecuted like any other person breaking the law. But as Tucker Carlson has pointed out, you're only going to get more violence like this and you're only going to get more incidences like this un until you stop and examine why people are doing this to begin with. Ask why, uh, which is the real question here. No, certainly. And that's the thing. It's it's always been about the double standard. It's always been about um, rules for thee, none for me, and how you spin it. I mean, the country was literally burning for months, and I agree with you. I find it very necessary. Uh, I, well, I found it very necessary that the president should have been making uh, not only speeches as he's been giving recently. I, I would have liked to him have throughout this whole 2020 cycle, for him to have actually stood uh, in the White House outside of being in the, uh, the press uh, briefing room, instead of battling with journalists, just speak to the American people. Literally hijack uh, you know, all, of t all of the television news stations for you know, half an hour to an hour, just you know, talking about how we're going to get through these times together. And I think that actually might have would have uh, helped him. But with, I think that the president's response to this when it first happened was a bit of disbelief. Kind of like a oh snap! I this is, I was not prepared for this to happen today. Kind of like deal, uh, and I think Joe Biden had a chance to really come out and say something uh, positive, but he instead he messes it all up. He tries to label everyone together, calling them white supremacists, just a whole bunch of white people going and storming the building. Uh, and I wouldn't even say that it's stormy. You see people meandering around the building taking pictures and so much for storming that they actually pick up the garbage and the things that were you know destroyed by other people afterwards so and they had congress in session within a few hours how many businesses that were looted over the summer were up and running within a few hours i mean this thing is blown out of proportion i mean they're making fun of the trump supporters for following the red velvet uh uh dividers you know the thing <laughs> that they use in the movie theaters like you know they went in they took photos you know they maybe they picked up some trash you know they were showing the destruction it was like look at this bench like this wooden bench that was broken it's like okay this is obviously tragic and this shouldn't have happened but everything needs to be put into perspective it needs to be put into perspective. And honestly, the left have been doing similar incidences like this in many state capitals all across the country. I mean, most recently, I believe it was Wisconsin with the teachers unions. They've mm -hmm. done sit-ins at capitals. They've stormed federal courthouses. They've uh, there, there was attacks on the U.S. Capitol by Puerto Rican separatists and by uh, Black Panthers in the 60s and 70s. So it's not even unprecedented. It, what was unprecedented maybe was the scale of it. And the scale of it should tell you something. What would drive thousands of, of people? Many, uh, obviously, they're the fringe people and they're the crazies and the far radicals, but thousands of people were there. What would drive thousands of people to do this um, unless they were so incensed about what happened and they have so many grievances and so much distrust of government? I mean, we're looking at issues that are society spanning uh, that, that really just cut at the core uh, of why our nation is so divided. And instead of looking into why that's happening, they're just throwing more gasoline on the fire. Now they're talking about no fly lists. They're talking about canceling people, getting them fired from their jobs, you know, uh, shutting them down off social media. I mean, they are just fanning the flames of what could, you know, possibly be in our lifetime, you know, a complete uh, civil war and a disintegration of the country. I mean, that's the kind of thing we're looking at right now because tensions are so high, the hatred is so deep. And no side wants to meet in the middle and speak to each other. And it seems like uh, this is only going to get worse and worse. Mm -hmm. So do you think that the overall cowardice that we've seen from the Republican Party has hurt it, potentially costing us eight years uh, of the executive branch? And do you, what do you think or recommend the best way forward should be? 
Well, the best way forward right now is we need to take advantage of our control at the state level. I mean, we have many states that are trifecta Republican states, meaning we control both chambers of their state legislatures and the governor uh, office. We need to use that power at the state level to start enacting uh, some sort of state level reforms, whether it's to tackle big tech, whether it's to promote other conservative ideals. We need more of a united vision because right now we're locked out of federal governance for at least two years for all intensive purposes. Obviously it's probably gonna be four years at the minimum, but two years until we at least have a chance to at least take back one house. Um, and we need to do some more efforts at the state level. Uh, as far as what's going on on the federal level, I mean, it's gonna be really tough. Uh, they have these majorities, they, they know how to use their majorities. Unlike Republicans who like to sit on their their, their ass, uh, we have majorities like we did for the first two years, which, you know, we passed tax cuts. Okay, great, I'm glad we passed tax cuts, but we could have, we could have been signing bills for, for every day for two years. Instead, they passed just a few token bills, and that was it. Um, they barely got health care done. They didn't get anything done on immigration. They didn't get anything done on big tech. They didn't get anything done on a slew of issues that when we had control. Um, and now the Democrats are in charge. They're going to do a ton of stuff. They're going to make and they're going to do everything they can to solidify their power, uh, whether it's, you know, giving D.C. statehood or uh, packing the courts or uh you know all their new spending and regulations i mean they're gonna they're gonna do everything they can to uh, come down hard on any possibility for republicans to retake control of government and uh you know the, the best we can do right now is, is try to partner with some moderate dems whether it's a mansion or a cinema in the senate or whoever's left in the house and try our best to block some of these things uh, maintain the filibuster and hope to God that the Supreme Court does its job and, and strikes down a lot of the laws that they're they're going to push forward. But, you know, I, I'm worried that the next two years they're going to definitely take advantage of it because I, I know they probably realize that they're not going to hold this sort of power for long. It's unusual in American history for one party to have this much control uh, outside of maybe the period of FDR and some other historical eras. Um, so, but they're going to take advantage of it and, and that's what I'm worried about. Well, what happens when the media becomes so uh, entrenched with one side that you no longer see free market, it's more of corporatism? What happens when you have the, one of the most powerful institutions uh, in the history of the world, I'd say the American media, um, at now on the side of the Democratic Party, who's, I'd say, to some degree, uh, successfully shaken the core of uh, what people's belief in the Electoral College and the electoral uh, process here in the United States how is it that you can move forward with that uh, and actually give people hope and confidence? My whole thing would be, if people are really afraid and nervous about what's happening, become a poll watcher or get involved in a campaign and try and work on the local level and, you know, trust that we will eventually, that this will this will blow over and trust in the Supreme Court. But a lot of people, whatever this accomplished, whether Trump uh, had won or not, I think that the goal was the to try and usurp whatever feelings we have about uh, our elections going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's destroyed the integrity, it's destroyed faith in the system. And, and one thing I forgot to mention earlier is that at the state level, we need to be pushing for, uh, you know, voter, uh, you know, uh, electoral reform, you know, voter ID laws, purging the voter rolls, rolling back all these, uh, these policies that were pushed through during COVID, like, you know, unsolicited mass mail-in ballots. That could be done at the state level. The political will is there, the political capital is there largely thanks to Trump. Hopefully these weak Republicans at the state level can get their act together and push it through. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're in, a, we're in a tough position right now because as you mentioned, the corporatist interest, I mean, that's really what we're fighting. And I know a lot of people like to talk about socialism, et cetera. And yes, I, I don't like socialism, 
But what we're really facing in the U.S. is not socialism. It's corporatism. It's these mega – it's these big business monopolies racketeering and acting like cartels and cornering the market for their own advantage. We've seen small businesses across this country get wiped out while the largest corporations, whether it's Amazon or whoever, growing exponentially because they're taking up market share. The, the biggest corporations have loved these lockdowns because Main Street has got screwed, Wall Street has benefited, the biggest globalist corporations have benefited, and these are corporations that have no, they do not have our, our nation's best interests at heart. They're, they're very socially left-leaning, they're woke, um, they love to use Chinese slave labor. They love to ship jobs overseas. They have no national interests. Uh, they have no interests aligned with our national interests. Uh, they're completely opposed to an America first agenda. And they need to be reined in. I think there's a lot of Republicans who are living like it's in 1980 and these businesses are on our side when they're not on our side. They donate to Democrats. They're they're all about the consolidation of the power. So what we're facing is a corporatist takeover of this country and it's going to hurt small businesses and small businesses have largely been the backbone of the republican party i mean that's what the democrats realize they they're they're ruthless they they see that small business owners uh back republicans uh so what do they do they they use whatever power they can to crush small businesses um and it, it's a real shame and it's it, it's it's a shame that no one stood up for them no one's fought for them uh we like to pride ourselves of being the land of the free and having our constitution our bill of rights where was our bill of rights where were our courts when uh, government diktats were just telling restaurants they couldn't open and couldn't do business. I mean, what kind of country is, are we living in that, that a government could just say, you can't run your own business, you can't make any money, you have to go destitute? Well, remember, happen? remember in Twitter, they said, um, people said, oh, well, Twitter has a right to censor because uh, they're a private entity, they're a private business. And I've gone on the offense and said, well, remember, there's a difference between a publisher and a platform, and they each have their own special privileges uh, with those titles. Um, but if, in fact, that they're a private business, then private businesses and small businesses should be able to open uh, at their own will. And correct me if I'm wrong, but these executive orders and these guidelines are being treated as though they're laws and they'll be, you'll be fined as such. But I don't think they really hold up any sort of merit. And I think that's why we saw that, uh, that gym owner down in Jersey, forget the, the name of the gym, he just rips us. There we go. Atlas gym. He's just ripping, ripping up these, uh, you know, these, uh, these fees as he should. Uh, and I really hope that once this is all said and done, and once the dust settles from what, you know, from January 6th and then soon January 20th, that people go on the offensive, that small business owners actually go on the offensive and say, listen, we don't like anything that's happened. Now Cuomo, uh, coincidentally, uh, is saying, hey, guess what? It's time to open up again. I, I really hope that small businesses go on the offensive. And of course, I'd say that we'd be open, um, Republicans in general, to help them with that, to assist them in that. And we should, because they're the ones that are provided and stuck through with us when we've all been through our hard times by being able to providing those services and goods for us. Yeah, I mean, Yen, you, you make a good point. I mean, these were not laws that were passed by legislatures, passed by our duly elected representatives. These were laws, you know, issued by, you know, diktat by governors or whoever it is. Uh, and, and they are very dubious in terms of their legality and their constitutionality. And what we saw in New York, the only reason we were able to stop the lockdown the first time and get to 25% uh, open in, in, in the city for restaurants was because the restaurant associations threatened to sue. The only problem is, is that they should find their balls and they should actually, you know, follow through with their lawsuits. Because if they litigated this to totality, as the churches and the synagogues did, um, they would have got 100% uh, of what they wanted in terms of being able to reopen their businesses. The churches sued, they got it to SCOTUS, and now churches are open, thank God. 
uh, no pun intended, uh, because of uh, because of Cuomo, he, he lost. He lost that battle. The small businesses and the restaurants need to do the same. I mean, they need to sue. They need to take this to court. They need to challenge the constitutionality of this. And I'm very confident if it was to be expedited up the federal uh, court system, the hierarchy, it would be struck down as unconstitutional. That's all we need. But no one's had the balls. No one's had the courage to go against these dem governors. And it's a real shame. Um, and uh, we're, we're paying the consequences for it. Mm-hmm. You bring up an interesting point about uh, about SCOTUS. Uh, people were expecting the whole, you know, Kraken idea, the Sidney Powell idea, and Rudy Giuliani, just this, you know, care package, super package of uh, proof of election fraud to hit the desk um, of the Supreme Court justices that Trump put in. And then when that fell on their face, they said, how dare these turncoats uh, turn their back on Trump? He was the one who appointed them. Do you find that that has any merit, or do you think that these justices are actually trying to be uh, objective and uh, trying to stick as close to the Constitution as possible? I think a lot of these judges are overrated. I think a lot of them lack the courage necessary to take on these big cases. I think SCOTUS is a a fundamentally broken institution. I know a lot of conservatives like to worship SCOTUS, but SCOTUS is never supposed to have the power it it has today. The founders never intended them uh, to be able to create law through precedent, which is what they did in Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion up until the point of birth. Um, There's a whole slew of other cases that they've decided. Obviously, when the court was more dominated by liberals, um, but still, the fact that the courts could have this much power um, over our legislature, which was supposed to be the most powerful branch of government, but they've relinquished so much control to both the judiciary and the executive, but more especially the judiciary. Uh, and the federal judiciary, even outside of the Supreme Court, is also, I feel like, you know, the, the conservative legal strategy of appointing justices and judges has not really worked because these were all the same judges and justices that shot down Trump's very legitimate uh, cases against voter fraud. They never even let these cases get to evidentiary hearings. They were always dismissed on standing. And what court would have standing if not the Supreme Court? I mean, that is the highest court in the land. I mean, any any issue of standing should end with SCOTUS. Um, it's a dispute between the states. So I'm referring to that Texas suit, uh, which had, I believe, almost 20 other states sign on because they made a good case that if there is fraud in one state, it disenfranchises votes in another state. And I can understand if you don't agree, if you don't agree with that with that principle, that's fine. I, I, I have conservative friends who I respect highly who may disagree with the underlining principles of the Texas case, but it was dismissed on standing, which is the most ridiculous thing. It should have at least been heard. It should have been uh, you know, deliberated on, and we should have had a real decision. It should not have been dismissed on standing. That's that's ludicrous. There's no other there's no other court to bring it to other than the Supreme Court. So they they were very negligent in their duties, and they do this regularly. I mean, if you look at how the SCOTUS works, they barely rule on any cases anyway, um, and they always avoid the controversial cases, cases that come up that have to do with maybe gun rights or have to do with abortion. I mean, they always pick these small little cases, like this big case that everyone's talking about. They just picked. It's oh, uh, to get your birth control pills. You can't do it. Uh, you have to go in person to do it or something. It was so stupid. That's the big case that they took on. They never take on cases that matter. And it's because they have this discretion that they really shouldn't have. And this discretion allows the courts to pick a few select cases every year and then issue massive you know, social discourses. Instead, what they should be doing is they should be taking every case that comes to them and issue quick judgments, quick judgments, up or down, just move through it. Because 
the way they operate now, they're never gonna. We're never gonna be able to really, uh, you know, get the full benefit of having a uh, having a conservative majority because most of the cases never get to them, or they don't even choose to hear those cases. So the courts are not our friends. They failed in many regards. None of them had the balls to do what was what was what, what was necessary, um, and they have too much power. They have too much power, and uh, you know we need to stop putting faith in them. I think a better legal strategy uh, for the right is litigation. We should be putting much more effort and money not into picking judges, but to to waging litigation warfare and just suing the left, suing their organizations, suing these politicians, these corrupt institutions until they're forced to either settle or uh, or, or suffer the consequences of, of losing a lawsuit. I think that's a better strategy for conservatives. No, it's certainly it's certainly interesting one that I think that should be explored more. But now that we're heading into, sadly, now that we're heading into the the Biden administration. What is the best way forward for Republicans now? Because this, I'd say, has disheartened a lot of Republicans. I think the Trump effect is strictly the Trump effect. It'll take a while before someone can be as much as a, as a firebrand where he gets people involved in politics uh, for the good or bad uh, as President Trump. Now, there's a lot of people. So what do you think should move forward? Because a lot of people right now are saying that they want to make the, the Patriots Party or the, the Trumplican Party, and they're trying to break off from it. And of course, you know, there's they're angry at Mitch McConnell and I could understand why. And, you know, Mitch is Mitch and we've already, you know, we've known who, you know, who he's been. We've also said the same thing about Mitt Romney. But I don't think the answer is to necessarily break off. And I don't think, I simply think that we don't lack the, we lack the funds, obviously. And sadly, I think there's a bit of validity to those establishment figures uh, that can really weigh in on these sorts of, uh, you know, big votes. I know that impeachment, which we're going to get into later, uh, hasn't necessarily been in, um, been in our favor uh, recently, but I still think that there needs to be reform from the inside rather than from the outside. I agree with you, and it, it goes even beyond that. I mean, structurally, the way our system works in the United States, you cannot really have third parties. It's mathematically impossible. We have this thing called first past the post. And it's our voting system, which is basically, you know, you win a majority and you, you get into office or you win the plurality and you get into office. Uh, unlike in Europe or Latin America or, or Israel or a few other countries that have multi-party systems where it's proportional, where you can have a party and if that party gets 20% of the vote, they get 20% of the seats. It doesn't work like that way in the United States. You could get 20% of the vote and get no seats. You don't win anything because it's, it's a, it's a two-party system. So trying to split off a third party has historically never really worked. And if it has, it was very regionally based. It was more, uh, you know, pre the modern era. Um, even in the modern era, you know, the, the, the last time we had these sort of things, maybe with the Dixiecrats in the South and a few other, you know, times that we've had a third pres a third party presidential run, you know, it was, a, it was a third party to support a presidential candidate. It wasn't a third party to hold seats in Congress. Um, it, it's never worked. It's, it's, it's a counterproductive strategy. What we need to be doing is we need to be taking over the Republican Party, which we've been doing slowly. Um, that's the way to do it. And I hate the establishment as much as anyone. I, I rail against the establishment. I think the Mitch McConnells of the world are, are, are relics of another time. They don't know what they're doing. They failed us. I think he's the reason we lost the Senate, because he refused uh, to bring uh, to the floor the $2,000 stimulus checks. Had we got that, we probably would have won the Senate. 
um, and all his policy and, and and just the way he runs things in general and the establishment views things, they're still thinking it's 2004 and Bush is popular and uh, we can return back to this establishment neoconservative policy of just bombing Iraq and uh, that's going to be the future of the Republican Party. It doesn't work. That's not how things work anymore. Trump became who he was. Trump won a presidency by breaking the uh, narrative and the messaging and the policies of the old Republican Party, which was largely repudiated post-Bush. Um, that's why Bush left the party in shambles with Barack Obama having massively united government across, you know, both chambers and, 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 and the executive, obviously. And that's why we saw, you know, very big losses for both John McCain and Mitt Romney. They were repudiated. It was Trumpism. It was working class populism that uh that really won us in 16 that probably won us in 2020 uh that helped us with down ballot races across the country that helped us make the largest uh percent gains with minority voters uh it wasn't establishment pandering that won minority voters i mean uh trump didn't win the rio grande valley uh, one of the most Hispanic areas in the country because he pandered to them. He didn't go there and start pretending to speak Spanish. He did the opposite. He just ran on law and order, on economic nationalism, on social conservatism, and that won a lot of uh, formerly Democratic voters. And if you have to remember, the Democrat Party has changed a lot in recent years. They're not the party of working class people. They're not the party that they used to be. If you look in the 1990s, they were uh, in many ways a much more moderate, even conservative party, including a lot of their base, which were socially conservative, but maybe more left wing on economic issues. And Trump tapped into that voter base. And uh, that's why we need, to, we need to win within the party because the party infrastructure, it can be changed. We can win primaries. We can t we can win over local parties through becoming district leaders, precinct captains, committee members, whatever the term is in your different state. And you take over the positions of power within the party. And that's how you do what the Democrats have done. With the Democratic left, they've taken over the Democratic Party. The, 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 the right wing of the Republican Party needs to do the same. And we need to be able, we need to shift it. Um, to become a party of working class populism, because that's what's going to win every election. And uh, the Democrats are only going to have a harder time winning elections going forward if we do that. Now, would you want President Trump to run again in 2024? Um, my, my issue with um, 2024 is that I think he's going to be a lot older. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm worried about, you know, where he'll be by then, his mental state and everything. And I think um, I would support him if he ran. Um, and he would probably be my first choice just because I'm a loyal person. But do I think it's the best choice? Not necessarily, especially. And we also have to see what happens over the next four years. I, I personally think someone like Ron DeSantis would be a fantastic choice. Um, he's running one of the most best run states in the country. He has many Trump populist elements. He's articulate. He's a good administrator. Um, and I think he would carry the torch very well. I think he would appeal uh, to college educated whites, which is a group that Trump lost. Um, I think he would appeal to Hispanics. I think he would appeal to Trump's working class base. I think he has a lot of things going for him uh, on that front. So I would definitely recommend uh, DeSantis. Uh, he's not as charismatic as Trump. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of things about Trump that we'll never we're never going to be able to replicate. We're simply not going to be able to replicate. But there are also things about Trump that were not necessarily good. I think he was a novice when it came to governing. I think when he first came into office, the first four years, there were a lot of unforced errors, namely in terms of staffing and personnel. Uh, he picked a lot of bad people who ended up betraying him, 
uh, who did not support his agenda and people that uh, actively worked to sabotage him. And that was because he was a bit of a novice. Uh, he didn't understand how the, how the system worked, how the machine worked in D.C. I know I talked to you earlier how we could have done so much more in the first two years when we had United Government. He could have done much more in the first two years, but he didn't have that experience uh, to work with the legislature and, and, and to get a lot of things through. Uh, he, and that's why the second term was going to be so important, because he was going to have a second term where he had really started to learn how the system worked. His personnel had gotten better. And he didn't have Russiagate overhanging him anymore. Right. So the second term would have made the first term look like peanuts in, in compared to the policies he would have been able to effectuate. Um, so it's unfortunate. But as far as 2024 looks, I like I like DeSantis uh, the most. Uh, I think Hawley is good. Uh, again, I think he, he has an issue of charisma uh, compared to Trump. I also don't like so much the fact that he's a he's a senator i think i think a governor would be a much more important role uh for the presidency but you know he's still good on the issues i think you could make a good vp pick um from an ideological standpoint i don't know if you'd make a good v pick from a political standpoint i know christy gnome has talked about a lot i like her i don't like her as much as desantis i could see her as a vp pick i wouldn't support her necessarily for a presidential pick mm -hmm. and uh you know those are uh, cruz is good i like cruz a lot um, but I don't think Cruz is electable, uh, unfortunately. And I've worked with Cruz, and I like Cruz a lot. Uh, he's I think he's improved, but I just don't think Cruz could appeal uh, to a working-class voter in the Midwest. Um, I think he would do better among traditional Republicans. I think he would do good well among evangelicals. Uh, but I think he has a problem of appeal, and I think there's something about him that people are turned off by. And that's not to speak to his character. That's not to speak to his... You know his intellect. He's he's a he's brilliant and he's a uh, he's a good man. But this is just pure politics in terms of how people perceive him. I think he's done a better job over the years improving his perception, but it's still not there. One person I would be uh, absolutely diametrically opposed to is Nikki Haley. I think Nikki Haley's a snake. I think she's a phony. Uh, she is a return to the establishment politics of old. Uh, she is a neoconservative. She's an establishment. Uh, she has been on the wrong side of every issue. Uh, she's extremely contrived. She's extremely manufactured. And she reminds me in many ways of Jeb Bush in 2015, 2016. They're forcing, on, they're forcing her on her, on us. They're forcing her on us, um, even though there's really no popular appeal for her. She really has no natural base or constituency. I think Pence has more of a natural base or constituency. And he may have lost a lot with the diehard Trump supporters, unless Trump really came out swinging for him, which I don't think he will. But again, Pence, he's a good guy, but he's also boring. He's also very boring. Um, and I think what Trump has changed is that we just boring. It's not going to cut it anymore. You need someone who has a little flamboyancy in terms of how they carry themselves, which Trump had. And we don't see it in other Republicans. No, I mean, that's 100 percent correct. I, when it comes to Haley, I think that she should have stayed in the U.N. Uh, I think she was fine where she was. Uh, and if she wanted to actually make a run uh, after a potential uh, Trump second term uh, and really stuck uh, stuck through it. But again, a lot of these people are backstabbers. I do think that he spent the most of his time, aside from Russiagate, really fighting the media uh, more and uh, trying to uh, win over people's hearts and minds when their minds were sadly already so somewhat made up. Just like you know, why are you trying trying to speak directly to people in the wrong way where they already had their they already had their minds made up? I think this is somebody who has enjoyed uh, attention and admiration uh, for a while, and then out of nowhere. The people that used to love him are all, are all just turning back their backs on him, uh, no matter how close of a personal relationship they might have had. Uh, so I would have liked it if, especially in the beginning, because he, Trump understood, it, I think, to some degree, the importance of free speech, if they actually tackled free speech in the very beginning. 
because that's when we started to see uh, the censorship and people being deleted on a small scale. Uh, and then we learned that shadow banning was a thing and people, you know, uh, spoke out and it was talked about as a buzzword. And I really felt as though that wasn't touched upon uh, as well as it could have been or should have been. And, you know, you're right with saying that, listen, if you have the ability to do it, we should be able to actually push through uh, as, you know, as much as we can because we might not have this chance again. And sadly, that's where we're looking at right now. Uh, but speaking of second chances, uh, recently the House of Representatives voted to impeach the President of the United States a second time. I say, why not go for a third time? And if we're lucky, go for a fourth time, because at this point, we still got, what, six days left as of the recording of the show. We can chump up a whole bunch of impeachment charges, pun intended. It's, it's hilarious that in all of U.S. history, Trump has 50% of the presidential impeachments, and he only served one term. Um, they have lowered the bar for what it for, for what is an impeachable offense. The first time they tried to impeach him was based on a flat-out lie. It was based on a falsehood. Uh, there was no collusion with Russia. There was no connection to Russia. Russia was not supported by Trump. Trump was not supported by Russia. Um, he was not a Russian agent. He didn't act on behalf of the Russians. It was a complete fabrication. It was a lie, and they impeached him over it. Um, and it was a joke. It was a complete joke, and it went nowhere. It cost him a lot of time and effort. Um, but they've, but but through that and the second impeachment, they've really lowered what it is to be an impeachment. Impeachments are just going to become, uh, you know, just partisan party votes going forward, uh, and they're not going to really mean anything. They're just going to be done for the hell of it. Um, and it looks like, you know, Biden is probably going to, there's probably going to face some kind of impeachment when he comes into when he comes into office. I don't know if the Republicans have the votes, um, but it's it just goes to show that this has become a. Uh, a, a political weapon, not actually something that you do uh, to punish someone that's deserving of an impeachment. Um, but what did they impeach him for this time? Because he called for a peaceful uh, gathering. He called for a peaceful protest, the sort of stuff that they were calling for all summer, all year, something that is uh, protected by our Constitution, by our rights of association, our rights to assemble, our rights to peaceably protest. That's what he called for. Um, and they impeached him for it. it, it it's ridiculous. And these were these weak-willed Republicans who joined in because they're so they're, they're they're so they just always hated Trump and they're so happy to see him gone and they hope that this will destroy his political future. Here's the reality: it's not going to destroy his political future. It's actually helped him. This has helped him politically. It's 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 given a bad taste to many people, including many people who actually don't even like Trump. Now they see how politicized this has become and they see how blatantly they're scapegoating Trump that they've actually given him more sympathy points. And his polling numbers are actually not that bad. They're pretty stable, and they're only going to bounce up. And this is after a week, a week and a half of the worst press that he's ever gotten in, his, in the last four years. He still has very good poll numbers, both in turn in, in, within the party, within the general population, uh, when compared to Congress, when compared to the media. He outranks all of them. Uh, he has, I think, on the low end, 77% of the, of the GOP support. I've seen things as high as 80 or 90 um, and I think polls in general always underestimate him, so that's something to keep in mind when I tell you these numbers. Then, in terms of the general population, he's just under 50% approval, um, and he's still more he's still more popular than Congress, which is impeaching him. So the whole thing is a politicized sham. It obviously can't do anything because he's going to be leaving office before we actually get to the floor. I don't think it's constitutional to impeach someone who's not even in office anymore. You, what are you going to convict them of? They're out of office. They can't be removed from office. Um, so it's a joke. It's making him more popular. Um, and these Republicans, I'm glad they went on record so we can we can primary them and remove them from office immediately. They, they are traitors uh, to their constituents. They are self-serving, uh, virtue signaling, smug, 
uh, trash as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the Liz Cheney's of the world and all these other the Adam Kinzinger's, whatever however the hell you say his name. The Lincoln um, Project wannabes, essentially. The Lincoln Project wannabes uh, and these Dems, you know, that pushed forward uh, under Pelosi's uh, orders are, are, are just are just playing dumb politics because it's not working for them. They're trying to tarnish Trump's reputation. It's it's helping him. It's helping him. Uh, and Congress is held in contempt by so many Americans. It's 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 an institution that is utterly disregarded. People have uh, a lot of hatred for Congress, and the fact that Trump got impeached by this 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 hated institution not once but twice uh, speaks more to him being the political outsider that he was, being this force uh, for good in the swamp. Uh, I think he should wear it as a he should wear it as a badge of pride. Oh no, certainly, and I just so upsetting to see that this is where we've come because we shouldn't have to see this as a tool for whoever we don't like it shouldn't have to come like that from the republicans or from the democrats um or if the libertarian party ever gets 35 percent of approval them either it shouldn't come from any party it, it only strives to push for more division and it's not like the media is helping us either because they're in on it they want it uh pretty soon now uh, we're all going to be listening to the project veritas um tapes on what uh, media is actually how much skin in the game they actually want to have in influencing these elections. When you have the leader of the Fourth Reich, Angela Merkel, coming out and saying that it's not like, listen, it's not cool. And they have speech laws when they're like, you know, this isn't necessarily all that good. When you have the president of Mexico saying that this isn't good either and world leaders saying that, you know, because they, they recognize it. They understand that if it can happen to the United States, it can happen to everyone. And this is what Evan and I have said. No one's going to come for us in the event that something goes down, where things go irreversibly wrong. We're the ones that pay other people to, so that they can fix their problems. We're the ones that constantly are helping. Whether we agree with it or not, that's just the sad, at times, sad truth of what uh, this country uh, you know, does, where at times it feels as though other people are put before us. And I think that that was something that was highlighted uh, towards the end of this uh, was the $600 versus the $2,000 skinless check. When people were surprised, oh, Trump wants to give us $2,000? You saw so many memes coming from people who were essentially never Trumpers saying, you know what, maybe this guy isn't that bad. And hopefully this will swing to the part where more people walk away uh, from the Democratic Party. And that's a taboo term now because Facebook deleted the walkaway campaign. And when I tweeted about this, somebody responded saying that it was a machine for Russian bots that the hundreds of thousands of people that claimed that they were walking away from the Democratic Party were all bots. And I said, I have a testimony on there. I, the, the thousands of people have testimonies on there. They're not bots, and they were heavily moderate. But this is where we've come to uh, when you have this sort of corporatist structure where you have big tech and the Democratic Party working together. And it, it, is, prop it is propaganda. It is making sure that people fall in line. If not, you can be erased. Now, a lot of people, the voice... A lot of people had a voice uh, uh, in the world because they had the ability to connect via social media. And that is a part of the Trump effect. And now a person who really took that platform and made it their own was Trump. And now they take they took him out. And now for having a difference of opinion, they'll remove you. Gavin, your show was just uh, taken off of Facebook. Now it's back. It's back now. But you, you said a ton of things right there. I'll start with the foreign leaders. Uh, you made a great point by saying they realize it could happen to the U.S. It could happen to them. Uh, many of them are concerned about the consolidation in, in these big tech monopolies. Many of these big tech monopolies are, are more powerful than sovereign states. 
uh, they are the means of communication. The means of communication means power. Uh, when you control that, you, you wield a lot of power. And I have uh, nothing but praise uh, for Mexico's president, Obrador, uh, who stood by Trump in this crazy timeline we're living in, that Mexico is our closest ally. Um, but it's it's true. I mean, he's a populist in Mexico, and uh, he's his views aligned with many Trump's views uh, domestically. A lot of the things that Trump talked about uh, for domestic policy in the U.S. are very similar to what Obrador was talking about in Mexico. Um, but then even on the other end of the political spectrum, you have the establishment globalist, neo, uh, neoliberal uh, Angela Merkel, who you rightly described as uh, the leader of this uh, Fifth Reich that has dominated Europe and driven large parts of Europe into destitution through the EU project, uh, even, even Angela Merkel was uh, concerned about what they saw through uh, Twitter and big tech. And that's why their stock is crashing, because these stupid idiots at big tech uh, they're over. They're overplaying their hand. They they they're they're taking advantage of a short-term power dynamic, which is in their favor, uh, to propel themselves into this position that no one really wants them in. Um, and even their friends on the left, the left only supports them insofar as they've been useful to crush Trump. But the left isn't stupid. The left isn't going to allow big tech to wield all this power because eventually they're going to come to heads. They're going to collide. Um, and Twitter doesn't realize this, but they're basically setting themselves up to be heavily regulated and to maybe be dismantled. I'm not saying it's going to happen next year. I'm not going to say it's going to happen in two, three years, but it's going to happen. Um, and if it's not Twitter, it's going to be whoever replaces Twitter. If it's not Twitter, it's going to be Facebook. All these big social media companies, these big tech companies are basically setting themselves up uh, to be cut down to size, and I think they should have been cut down to size a long time ago. I'm very happy that people like Teddy Roosevelt are being held at much more high esteem within the Republican Party because Teddy Roosevelt understood the threat of monopolies, the threat of big tech uh, with the concentration of wealth and the concentration of power. It's antithetical to a free society. There you go. You got the Teddy cigars from Liberty Cigars. Definitely get some if you're an NYYRC member. Um, so, so it, it, it is horrible, and I'm glad some world leaders are standing up. Um, but you know, we're we're putting ourselves into a bad position. And the other point you made with the two thousand dollars stimulus, um, the Republican Party has held true to this this kind of this dated kind of free market absolutist view. Um, and listen, in normal times, I can understand some of their arguments, but we're living in not in not in not not in ordinary times. Uh, our economic downturn is completely self-inflicted. It was because of our ridiculous COVID pandemic. So if the government is going to shut down people's businesses, is going to drive people into unemployment, they better be expected to pick up the bill. Because if you're going to make people destitute, you better support them. Uh, if you're going to make people destitute and, pre and prevent them from making a living and just leave them to their own devices, uh, that is disgusting, that is tyrannical, that is a shame. And then you're also going to tax them. So as far as I'm concerned, these direct assistance to American families was very much needed. Uh, and it was justified based on all the previous actions of the Congress and the state governments. And it is our money at the end of the day. And if you are going to spend taxpayer money, I think the best way to do it is to give it back to the people that you taxed it from to begin with. It shouldn't be going to corporations. It shouldn't be going uh, for bailouts, for subsidies, for, for transgender programs in Pakistan, for military defense contracts. It should be going back to the people. And that is a plank of this new populist movement that's rising up, which is winning over many hearts and minds. Um, like the people you were talking about, because their view of the Republican Party was this country club, waspy, you know, preppy party that basically st stuck their noses up at working class people and said, you know, oh, if, if you're poor 
or if you don't have the means to support yourself, it's because you're lazy and you're stupid. When in reality, many of the times these people are struggling are a direct consequence of government action, um, either through what they did during COVID or even before COVID. Uh, government has been part of shipping our jobs overseas. It's been part of our managed decline of this country. Uh, this free trade absolutism has led to the loss of millions of, of, of good-paying jobs in this country. They've regulated other industries out of business. They've printed money out of thin air, destroying the purchasing power and the savings of people. Um, so when I, when I look at this whole situation, I say, you know what? Money to the people, power to the people. Uh, you, you want to talk about free markets, it's a sham because you're only, you're only for free markets when you're supporting people. You're never for free markets when it comes to corporate bailouts, when it comes to massive spending for the military, when it comes to sending money overseas. They're all big spenders when it comes to foreign aid. But the second you want to give domestic aid, then all of a sudden they're talking about free markets. And I'm a supporter of free markets. I support the free market system. But don't be a hypocrite. And that's why I don't even have a problem with some of the more libertarian members of Congress like Thomas Massey and Rand Paul. I don't have a problem with them voting against it because they're principled. They're consistent. They've always voted against it. They vote against it no matter what. So for them, I don't care. I actually respect them. What I can't stand are, again, the Liz Cheney's of the world and all these other neoconservatives and establishment people who want to clutch their pearls and act like they're big free market people when they have no problem sending our money overseas. But the second we're saying, hey, can you spare a thousand bucks for 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 Joe Schmo in Queens? Oh, God forbid. No, we can't afford it. We just gave five hundred billion dollars to Pakistan. We can't afford this. So it, it's stupid and it's hypocritical. No, I agree. It's that's a hundred percent on the money here. And I think what you said, what I want to highlight something that you said, which was that um, eventually these big tech will is has already put a target on their back, and they'll eventually they're trying to play God on a political spectrum where I don't think that they're ready for or are even aware of. You can censor as many people as you want, but eventually people, uh, especially uh, world governments, will eventually partner to try and take you down. And I think AOC has already sounded the call for that in a, in a sense where she says that they need to rein in big tech because she's aware that what if one day she says something that is against the police and would the would big tech be able to spin it in a way that and media would they be able to spin it in a way that makes AOC a bad person and the villain and she knows that she's in a very good place right now uh, for her politically whether we agree with her or not uh, so I think that she might lead the charge I think Leticia James uh, is also trying to uh, break up the, uh, you know do some antitrust stuff here uh, in New York State listen I don't like Leticia James uh, much at all but I think that this is a very good uh, step of what she is doing you know credit where credit is due uh, at, and I think a, a very strong point here is that we need to be able to give credit to, to Democrats when they do a good job because it's become That's so great. polarized here that you're going to wind up wanting to hurt each other oh, physically and it's going to be wrong. Biden came out Biden came out with a tax credit plan that supports families and you get money for every child you have. I think that's a good thing. I think the United States should have a policy of natalism, which is to encourage families, to support families, uh, to to have make sure people have bigger families. We have a demographic crisis. We have a crisis where people aren't having kids, where people aren't starting families. Many people want to start families. They just financially can't do it. So when Biden came out with this plan that increased the child, the child tax credit or whatever it was, I, I fully support it. And uh, you know what's funny? There is a populist element to the Democrat Party that has found common ground with many populist figures on the right. And I'm very much open to working with them on a piece by piece 
basis. We're never going to agree with them 100%. But when there are instances when we agree with them, then give them credit where credit is due and work with them uh, to pass through meaningful legislative agendas and policy items that are going to benefit the people. Um, and again, I think it's again, you know, I hate that phrase because they've totally destroyed the phrase, but country over party. Obviously, at the base of it, I agree with that statement. I hate that how that statement was used to be anti-Trump and to promote people like John McCain. I think that was a stupid way of using that great phrase. But I do uh, support that phrase in its truest meaning where I don't support just the party uh, in and of itself. The party is a means to an end. The party is not the end. Um, and it's funny enough, in the, in the New York Young Republican Club, our mission statement mentions that specifically. It says that we need to see party not as an end in and of itself, but a means to an end. I'm not just loyal to the Republican Party. I'm loyal to this country. I just see the Republican Party as the best vehicle to advance this country. That's what it matters. That's why I'm always, if people ask me, I say, oh, I'm a conservative first. I mean, a Republican, you know, can mean a lot of things. You know, uh, Hogan in Maryland is a Republican. I don't agree with him on anything. Um, so it, it's, 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 it's a distinction that we need to make, but I a hundred percent agree with you. If, if a Democrat and I could not stand Letitia James, I think she's trash, but if she's going to go after big tech, if she's going to go after monopolies and all the power to her, bust the monopolies, break them up, support small businesses, and uh, we can find common ground. I no, I agree. And to end off here, cause we got to wrap it up and we'll make it uh, this, the last uh, quick segment, I think the way to actually revitalize and uh, put some vigor into the Republican Party is if in the next two years they really set their sights to dethrone AOC. I think if people dethrone, because she's been the centerpiece for the past, ever since she got into office, she's been the centerpiece of Republican talking points, of capitalism versus socialism, and the fact that she's got elected once, uh, not only once, but twice now, is a disgrace and a joke. If the GOP wants to actually raise and rile up some people, Make AOC that person. Listen, uh, last person to run against her uh, raised $9 million. Uh, majority came from out of state. So obviously there is a vested interest here in New York. And once you, it becomes a domino effect, you dethrone her, and then you'll be able to get more people to care about New York. And that will be seats. 45% voted for Trump, uh, New York state total. You'll be able to get people to actually turn this state red. And God bless this country if we're able to do that. Gavin. Really quickly, thoughts on that. I admire your optimism. I am not, I'm very skeptical of removing her from uh, office, uh, certainly in a general election. I think, you know, you have a slightly better chance in a primary, a Democratic primary. But even even then, she was able to defeat her last opponent in a primary who was very well funded pretty easily. Um, I think the thing about AOC is that she, she helps us in some ways because she is such a caricature. And she does some ridiculous things and some stupid things that is useful for Republicans uh, to attack. So if she was not in power, um, it would be harder to, uh, you know, uh, to campaign on that in other races. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think she's a she could be uh, a thorn in the side for the Democrats because I think the Democrats are going to be facing a big internal civil war now that Trump is out of the picture and they've achieved united government. Um, they can't blame Republicans. They can't blame Trump. Uh, they're only they've built this coalition. The Democrat coalition is a very broad coalition of very different groups that don't necessarily see eye to eye, that don't necessarily agree with each other on many things. Um, and now that's only going to be heightened now that they're in power. 
Um, so factions like those, you know, aligned with AOC, the Justice Democrats, or the, the far left, or however you want to describe them, are going to bump heads with the moderates. They're going to bump heads with the corporatists. They're going to bump heads with other members of the Democratic Party. Um, and it's going to cause a lot of issues for them. So let them fight. Why take out one of their biggest instigators when they'll when she's going to give them more of a headache than she will for us? Um, I think the thing about AOC, though, the way that Republicans have attacked her, they've made some mistakes. Um, there's a lot to make fun of her for. There's a lot to attack her for. But one thing I've always never really liked that they attacked her for is like, oh, she was a waitress or she was a bartender. Mm-hmm. It's a stupid attack. It's a stupid attack. One, she's a young person. Two, who cares if she was a waiter or a bartender? If you're going to be the party for the working class, you don't make fun of people that are bartenders. You don't make fun of people that wait tables. I waited tables. I bartended. I did all that stuff. Who cares? Does that make me a bad person? Does that make me a stupid person? No. There are people across this country who who not only wait tables, but they do they wait tables and they bartend in addition to another job. They are working two jobs. They are working three jobs. They are trying to support themselves. They are struggling. And when you laugh at them and you, you ridicule them, through AOC, you're attacking all of them, and you're making your party look very unlikable, and you're making her look much more likable. I think there's a lot of things to attack her for, but the fact that she was a waitress is the least of them. If anything, I commend her for being a waitress. I I would much rather have more members of Congress come from waiting tables and <coughs> lobbying firms. I would much rather have that. I think the, I think most of them would be better on both sides of the aisle. Um, I think where we can make fun of her on is the fact that she thinks that she's the only person who waited tables. She, <laughs> it's like it's like it's like AOC. Grow up. You think you're the first person to work a shitty job? I work shitty jobs. You've worked shitty jobs. Many people have worked shitty jobs. It doesn't make you special, AOC. If anything, right. it shows how out of touch you are because the picture she tries to paint for herself is not accurate. She didn't grow up in the Bronx. She didn't grow up in the South Bronx. She grew up in Westchester in a cul-de-sac in a very upper middle class income family whose father was an architect and she went to a very good Westchester school. She didn't go to a New York City public school. She went to Boston University. I mean, she is a upper middle class individual. That's who she is. She comes from an upper upper middle class background. She grew up wealthier than I did and I'm white. So (laughs) she plays this game like she's, you know, from, from the block or, you know, from the Bronx or whatever you want to say. It's just not true. Attack her on that. Attack her on her inauthenticity. But don't attack her because she did work as a waitress. I agree. Don't attack her when she makes legitimate points because I I, I follow her a lot. She makes a lot of stupid points, and I hate a lot of things she says. But as we mentioned earlier, every now and then she will say something useful. She did come out in support of the $2,000 payments, and she made good points. And she will bring up good points sometimes about the struggles of working class people. Fine. Not, you know, a broken, whatever the phrase is, a broken clock is run, is right once a day, twice a day, whatever the hell it is. It applies to AOC. It, it, there are instances where I agree sometimes with what she says. That doesn't mean I necessarily agree with all of her policy prescriptions, but sometimes she identifies legitimate problems that aren't talked about enough, and I, and I tend to agree. So mm-hmm. um, my view of AOC is... Is, is basically that. It was kind of a hodgepodge. I don't think she's going to go away. I think, if anything, she's probably a benefit for us there. It's a seat that I don't see us winning, but if it's going to be held by someone, let it be held by AOC because she's creating a lot of havoc in the Democratic ranks. She's very easy to use as a, a target when we're running against other candidates across the country. And, uh, you know, in the instances, and then also just Republicans, just figure out your branding better because you're losing voters when you attack her for being a waitress. So that's my yeah. view on AOC. Oh, certainly. And I think that's a great uh, place to end off. Certainly one to think about for reviewers. Uh, And for that being said, if you agree with us, share this with people that you know. And if you don't agree with us, 
share them this episode in particular because I think we cover a lot of good points and this is all stuff that's verifiable too. But with that being said, Gavin, please uh, let the people know where they can find you. Thank you, Mr. Montalvo. It's always a pleasure to be on uh, the Empire State Conservative Podcast Network, which I believe my podcast, the WaxCast, uh, will be officially joining. I'll send you the embed code, um, but we'll, we'll really make you guys a network because I know you guys were a network of one. Now you could be a network of two. It is a good idea. Um, but as I mentioned, I run a podcast called the WaxCast Podcast. Gabe has been uh, on it. He was one of our first guests. Uh, you can follow that at WaxCast Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, WaxCastPodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter as long as I'm not banned, at Gavin Wax. Instagram is the same. Facebook is the same. And don't forget to follow the New York Young Republican Club, which Gabriel Montalvo is also a member of. He's a member of our Board of Governors. Uh, at NYYRC, www.nyyrc.com. We're going to have a few great events coming up for you shortly. Uh, so thank you. All right, very good. very good. And for those of you who are watching this now but don't get to see our beautiful faces, uh, the ticker has been reading to follow us at Empire State Cons on Twitter, uh, at underscore Empire State Conservatives on Instagram and Facebook at Empire State Conservatives. Use code fraud at checkout at EmpireStateConservativesNetwork.com uh, to get 20% off of your next purchase. Send it to somebody you love, send it to somebody you hate, make the liberals cry again. You can find me at Baron underscore Montalvo on Twitter and Barrett.Montalvo uh, on Instagram and the Baron Montalvo on Facebook and on Parlor whenever that comes back up uh, uh, live again. But for that being said, this has been uh, this week's episode. And as Evan says, don't let fear take your freedom.